This is the 24th session, we're not even halfway through yet. Uh, the title is The Truth Shall Make You Free. Okay, two weeks ago I shared with you last time and um, we saw that Jesus announced himself with another title, I am the light of the world, he said, which is a title that God took for himself. So he was making a big claim. I am the light of the world. The Pharisees said, well, you say that about yourself. That's your own estimate. Jesus came back and said, well, first of all, I do know more about me than anybody else knows. And um, I know where I came from. I know why I'm here. But also my father bears witness to me with the works, the many miracles that are being done and uh, through the prophecies that have led up and pointed to me. But then he went on to give a, a very stern warning. He said, uh, if you do not believe in me, you will die in your sin. And then he repeated it, but he didn't use the singular word the second time. He said, you will die in your sins. And we saw what those two things meant. The sin that he referred to is the only sin for which there is no forgiveness. And that is not believing in Jesus. The only sin for which there is no forgiveness. So if you die in that sin, you will also die in your sins. You'll have to answer for your sins without a saviour. That's a very serious thing. But then we saw at the end of that, while he said these things, many of the Jews believed in him. So that's where we're picking it up this morning. Um, in John chapter 8, verses 31 and 32. Then Jesus said to those Jews who believed him, if you abide in my word, you are my disciples indeed. And you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. Amen. It's always good to we'll quote that second verse, but look at it in the context. Okay, It needs to be seen in the context. So in chapter 8, verses 12 to 29, Jesus is speaking to the Pharisees and their supporters, those that were opposing Jesus. But as we saw in verse 30, many Jews believed in him. And in these two verses, he addresses those believers. Then he takes up his dialogue again, which we're going to look at later through the rest of this chapter with the Pharisees. Now, Jesus wants these disciples to progress from a believer to a disciple. There's a difference between being a, a believer and a disciple. A believer receives eternal life. A believer is born again. A believer is saved. And uh, throughout the New Testament, it's very clear, very, very clear that if you believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, you will have everlasting life. Uh, 150 times and more, it's mentioned in the New Testament. Over half of those are mentioned in John's Gospel. He that believes in the Son of God has eternal life or everlasting life. And so that's the simplicity and the wonder of the gospel. It's got nothing to do with you or me. It's got to do with what he did at the cross. And we believe what he did and we are saved. So that's a believer. Amen. But then Jesus wants these believers to progress now and become his disciples. How? By abiding in his word. Faith is nourished by the word of God and leads to obedience, which is the meaning of abiding in the word. When you abide in the word, the word becomes a lamp unto your feet and a light unto your path. It becomes your go-to, your reference point. 
okay, it becomes the final authorities on all matters relating to life and, and our Christian walk. What does God say in his word? So when we abide in his word, it means that we, we come to rest in the word of God as being that which we need to lead us and guide us and uh, we respond to that with our obedience. And what happens is that this leads to freedom from dominion of sin. Now, let me just clarify that. It's not actually this which leads us to freedom. We're already free because Jesus said here, if you abide in my word, then you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. Okay, so a believer knows that they are forgiven that they are free from the penalty of sin. There is no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. You believe in Jesus, as he said in John's gospel, you are passed from death into life. You will not come into the judgment for sinners. We will not stand at the great white throne judgment. Praise God, that's clear, isn't it? We, we know there's no penalty awaiting for us. I think somebody prayed that. There's no condemnation now for those who are in Christ Jesus. But... What God also wants us to know, and we, we know this when we abide in his word, is that we're also free from the power of sin. From the power of sin. There's no dominion of sin over us anymore. We're free from its power. doesn't mean to say that we're sinless. Sin might attack us like an outlaw, and, you know, but it doesn't reign over us like a king. We've been delivered from the power of darkness and brought into the kingdom of light. So when we abide in God's word, we know these things and we become strong in these things and walk in that victory, that freedom from sin. You will know the truth and the truth will make you free. Now they responded, we're coming back to the Pharisees now, they answered him, we are Abraham's descendants and have never been in bondage to anyone. How can you say you will be made free? Jesus answered them, most assuredly, I say to you, whoever commits sin is a slave of sin. And a slave does not abide in the house forever, but a son abides forever. Therefore, if the son makes you free, you shall be free indeed. Now, they, they responded saying, we've never been in, in bondage to anyone. Now, now both Jesus and, knew, and, and the, they, the Pharisees, knew that he wasn't talking about being in bondage. Um, well, let me put it to you this way. When we look at that, we would, we would respond by saying, well, hang on a minute, Jews, you were in bondage to the Egyptians, right, for hundreds of years. And you were in bondage to the Babylonians for 70 years. You were carried away in captivity and were there for 70 years. And you are now, currently, as we speak, in bondage to the Romans. In fact, where, where this all happened, if you looked up, there was a castle where there was a Roman garrison looking down upon them. They were under the thumb of the Romans. But both Jesus and the Pharisees knew that he wasn't referring to that kind of bondage. But they thought it was a different kind of bondage. They thought that it was the bondage that other nations are under, that is the bondage to idols or idolatry. All those nations worshipped false gods. They were in bondage to those things. They were in darkness. They, they were ignorant and they were, they were captive uh, to, to, to their idolatry. And, and so they were saying, we've never been in bondage. We, we know the one true God, the eternal God. 
we have his word. We've never been a people in bondage to that kind of darkness. But Jesus was not even referring to that. He was referring to an internal bondage, a bondage within. And he said, whoever commits sin is a slave of sin. Now sin, the word sin in this passage is a verb in a verb tense indicating habitual, continual action. The person in habitual sin is a slave of sin. See, one act leads to another because one sin can never satisfy. That's why, that's the deceptive power of, of sin. It, it gives you the impression you can have just as much as you want and then leave it alone. It doesn't work like that. It doesn't work like that. Once you taste sin, you want more and you want more and you go further and deeper and deeper into sin. That's the power of sin. That's what Jesus was talking about. Whoever commits sin, you've stepped into the, into the, the trap and you're taken down with it. You're, you become in bondage to that. We call it addiction. Jesus and Paul called it bondage. Same thing. Paul said this, Do you not know that to whom you present yourselves slaves to obey, you are that one's slaves whom you obey, whether of sin leading to death or, or of obedience leading to righteousness. That's an interesting statement, isn't it? What, Jesus is, uh, what Paul is saying there is that we, we will be slaves of one thing or another. We will either be slaves to sin or we'll be slaves to righteousness. That's the way we were created. Some people say, well, I, I don't want to be slave to either. I just want to do my own thing. Yeah, that's a slave to sin. <laughs> That's the definition of sin. All have sinned and uh, everyone has turned to his own way. All we like sheep have gone astray. That's the, what I meant to quote. And we've turned each one to his own way. That's sin. Doing your thing. That's what started the whole problem right back in the garden. Amen. And so when uh, somebody says, I just want to do my own thing. I don't want to be in bondage to anyone. You're, you are in bondage. We, you were created to serve God, to live for the glory of God, for God to come and live inside you and live through you. That is actually liberty, it's freedom, it's life. It leads to righteousness, but the other one, going our own way, serving sin, leads to death. That's what Jesus was talking about, and he wanted to bring people out of bondage to sin and death. And those who are born again are free from sin's dominion. Paul said in Romans chapter 6, knowing this, that our old man was crucified with him, that the body of sin might be done away with, or the true interpretation there is rendered inoperative, that we should no longer be slaves of sin, for sin shall not have dominion over you, for you are not under law, but under grace. Now that's an important uh, statement in understanding this whole thing. Under grace... You're not under the dominion of sin for this reason that you've been taken out of the, the realm of the law and brought into the grace of God. And because of that, you're not under dominion of sin. Only the son can make us free from sin. He does this by making us sons. Servants are under the law. Sons are led by the spirit. So when you're under the law, there's, there's something outside of you telling you what to do. And you want to do it, but you can't do it. In fact, it actually stirs up rebellion within you. That's the way the law works. Paul said that. 
It, it stirs up the passions of sin. The commandment stirs up the desire for sin. It touches the point of our rebellion. When, when, you, when you tell someone you can't do that, they want to do that more. They're more determined to do that. Or you, or you must do that. No, I'm not going to do that. That's the, that's the rebellion that's within us. So, so the law doesn't help us to be free from sin. It actually increases our struggle with sin. That's the power of the law. And only the Son can set us free. And so when we get saved, we get born again, we're not given another set of commandments to live by. Thank God for that. We're given the Holy Spirit to live within us who gives us new desires according to our new creation identity so that we want to be who we are. We want to live according to what is true about us, that we are sons of God. We are the righteousness of God. We are holy. We are set apart for God. That's how we want to live because the Holy Spirit within us is bearing witness to what's true about us. So Paul says, as many as are led by the Spirit of God, these are the sons of God. Amen. If you are led by the Spirit, Galatians 5, 18, you are not under the law. It's one or the other. Under the old covenant, you're under the law. Under the new covenant, you're led by the Spirit. A lot of people react and say, oh no, you need the law to keep you straight. No, the, the law will complicate things. The law will increase your struggle with sin. But the Holy Spirit will show you who you truly are now. And, and, and you will want to live that way and you will be able to live that way because you're empowered by the Holy Spirit. That's the difference. That's what Jesus was promising to these believers. Now, the Pharisees come back on this thing. Uh, sorry, Jesus came back on this thing where, where they said, we are Abraham's descendants. He says, I know you are Abraham's descendants, but you seek to kill me because my word has no place in you. I speak what I have seen with my father and you do what you have seen with your father. So he's starting to talk about who their real father is, though he hasn't revealed him yet. He's going to do that. But he's saying it's different to what you think. My father is different to your father. They were Abraham's physical descendants, but not his spiritual descendants. Because Abraham rejoiced to see his day. See, Jesus is going to say that later on in this passage. Abraham rejoiced to see the day of Jesus. Uh, when was that? Well, we, we, we know that um, when God spoke to Abraham and he said to him, in your seed, all the nations of the earth will be blessed. He was talking about Jesus. He was forward looking, giving a promise, a prediction that Jesus would come and he would in fact be the seed of Abraham. He would come through Abraham's seed. So he had a revelation of Jesus and he rejoiced to see Jesus. And he put his faith in Jesus. And because he trusted in the promise of God, though he had limited understanding, God imputed righteousness to him on account of that faith. And so he rejoiced to see Jesus. So Jesus is saying, how can you be the, descend the spiritual descendants of Abraham? He rejoiced to see me. You want to kill me. Completely different responses. All true descendants of Abraham are characterized by this one thing. They have faith in Jesus, as Abraham did. That's the bottom line. What makes a person a Christian? They believe in Jesus. They rest in the finished work of Christ. 
But these, in contrast, wanted to kill him because his word had no place in their hearts. They answered and said to him, Abraham is our father. Jesus said to them, if you were Abraham's children, you would do the works of Abraham. But now you seek to kill me, a man who has told you the truth, which I heard from God. Abraham did not do this. You do the deeds of your father. Then they said to him, we were not born of fornication. We have one father, that is God. So Jesus said, you're, you're seeking to kill me. Abraham didn't do that. Well, when did Abraham have the chance to do that? When did, when did Abraham actually encounter Jesus? Personally, I think this was referring to, many of you will remember the time when, when uh, God came down and visited Abraham with two others. We, we, we later learned that one was God. They were, they, they were in human form. They came to Abraham. One was God and the other two were angels. You remember that? In, in Genesis chapter 18, if you want to look it up when you get home. And, and so it's very clear that one of them was God. It says that a few times in that passage. Now, was it God the Father or God the Son? Well, no man has seen God the Father. And, and the only way that God has ever revealed is through Jesus. So this is what we call not a theophany, but a Christophany. Okay, I know it's a theological term. When Christ came in pre-incarnate form before he was born in Bethlehem. He came and appeared as a man, happened a few times, and, and, and Abraham spoke to him, you see? And then the angels were sent on to Sodom and Gomorrah to deal with that situation, but, but Abraham and, and, and the Lord spoke to each other. So that's what Jesus is saying there. Abraham didn't kill me. He welcomed me. He was hospitable to me. He prepared a meal for me. We talked together. We had fellowship. I, I shared the secrets of what was in the purposes of God with him. So that's what he's referring to. But their unbelief and their desire to kill him made it plain they were not Abraham's spiritual seed. What they did was consistent with their father. Okay, now Jesus has mentioned that. Uh, you do the deeds of your father. So he's getting on now to telling them who their father is. Let's read on. Jesus said to them, If God were your father, you would love me. For I proceeded forth and came from God. Nor have I come of myself, but he sent me. Why do you not understand my speech? Because you are not able to listen to my word. You are of your father, the devil. Now he tells them plainly who their father is. You are of your father, the devil. And the desires of your father you want to do. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he speaks a lie, he speaks from his own resources for he is a liar and the father of it. But because I tell you the truth, you do not believe me. Which of you convicts me of sin? That was a bold statement. Basically, he said, which of you can show me one sin in my life? These were his enemies that were out to get him. He opened up, the, he gave them the invitation. Show me one thing wrong in my life. And if I tell you the truth, why do you not believe me? He who is of God hears God's words. Therefore, you do not hear because you are not of God. 
It's important words there. First of all, Jesus said, I, I, I came from God, not as an ambassador. You know, every, everybody that came from God, like the prophets, the apostles, they were ambassadors. They were sent to represent God with, with a message. But Jesus is God, manifest in the flesh. Very God of very God. In fact, if we go back to the, uh, the beginning there, he said, I proceeded forth and came from God. And that's what he was saying. Anyone who truly loves God will love his son because they're the same nature, same essence, because they will have the nature of the father and love who he loves. John said a similar thing about us. He said, if you're, if you're believers, if you're born again, you will love others who are born again because they're the same as you. They have the same father, the same savior. Whoever believes that Jesus is the Christ is born of God. And everyone who loves him who begot also loves him who is begotten of him. You see? It doesn't mean to say that sometimes we, we don't find fellow Christians a little bit awkward or difficult <laughs> and challenging and the same as they would find us the same. But we love them. Love is different. Love is unconditional. Love, love, love works its way through difficulties and, and, and doesn't turn and hate our brothers and sisters. We can't do that because we are born of God and we have the same nature as God. Amen? Now they could not understand what he was saying because they, because due to the hardening of their hearts they had been blinded by their father, the devil. Now we're coming to look at this, the whole uh, theme this morning is you'll know the truth. We're looking at the truth and the nature of the truth. They're a very important subject. He is a liar and a murderer from the beginning, Jesus said. The two are linked. The two are linked. When, when Satan, who is the father of lies, he, he's, he invented lying. There was no lying without, until he came along. Think about that. He invented lying. <laughs> he's the father of lying. And, and he brought that lie to this earth and he lied to Adam and Eve, and when they believed it, he murdered them. He killed the human race. They spiritually died. God said, if you eat that fruit, you, you will die. Satan said, a blatant lie. He said, you will not die. They took the fruit, they died. Through that lie, he murdered the human race. This is how serious truth and, and untruth is. You know, in, in 26 out of 27 of the books in the New Testament, we are warned against false teachers, false prophets, and false doctrines. That's how serious it is. You know, it's not a pleasant subject. We'd like to say, oh, doctrine, I'm not interested. Well, you better be interested in that. Doctrine is what you believe. And, and what you believe will mess with your mind and mess with your life if you don't get that straight. That's why we, we need to know the truth and be established in the truth. God is the fountain of truth. Satan is the father of lies. God cannot lie. He cannot lie. Satan cannot tell the truth. Even when he quotes the scripture, it is to twist it to a lie. Quote it out of context. God is the life giver. Satan is the life destroyer. With his lie, he murdered the human race. That's why we, we need to be devoted to the truth.
You know, one of the things that's um, apparent today in the church is that some people are more devoted to leaders than they are to the truth. They love their leader so much that they, they don't think he can make a mistake. And so when, when, when sometimes when, when a pastor says something that is not true, okay, because no one has a monopoly on truth. Everyone gets something wrong, okay? So when, when he says something that's not true, they're so devoted to him that they, they, will, they will go into what we call denial. And they'll stick up for him rather than sticking up for the truth, right? Very dangerous. Why is that? Because denial is one step away from deception. Once you deny the truth, you go into self-deception. And that's a dangerous position to be in. So this is why what we're sharing today is important, okay? Um, as I say, no one has got a monopoly on truth. I've said some things and I've changed my mind. I said, oh, I realise that the scripture doesn't actually teach that. And I've corrected that, okay? If I, if I share something and you see it's wrong, don't crucify me. <laughs> don't run away from me. Still be my friend, okay? But you don't have to believe everything without checking it out and, and, and making sure that it lines up with the Word of God. You understand what I'm saying? So be more loyal to the truth than you are to any leader in the church. Okay. The children of God are characterized by their love of the truth. The children of the devil are known by their refusal to accept the truth. You, you've shared the truth with people and, and even when it's that clear, that obvious, they will find arguments against it because they don't like the truth. They're enemies of the truth. Every member of God's family is indwelt by the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is called the Spirit of Truth. He's come to bear witness in us of the truth. And so they, we, we receive the words of the Father by whoever they are brought. That's another problem today is that some people will only listen to one teacher and everyone else is wrong and, and, and that's when we get division and, you know, kind of um, cults and so on. But whoever brings the word of God to you, if it's the word of God, receive it. That's just the messenger. Those who are not his children do not receive his words. Now here's something, just follow me here on this please. Before the fall, all right, Adam knew the truth from within. Deception could only access him from the outside because he was, he was created in the image of God, who is true. So that's why the serpent could only get to him from the outside. Satan used the serpent to, to bring the lie to him. After the fall, man was indwelt by the lie. I know this is a strong statement, but Jesus said, if, you, if you're not in Christ, you're a child of the devil because you believe the lie, okay? So after the fall, man was indwelt by the lie and the only way the truth could reach him was from without. That's why we preach the gospel. We are taking the truth to those who are in darkness. We're bringing light to those who are in darkness and, and, and that's, our, that's our calling. In salvation, the situation is reversed. We have been delivered from the deception and are indwelt by the truth. Our relation with the truth is deeper than just believing it. John says in 1 John chapter 3, 19, we are of the truth. That's our character, that's our nature. And the truth is in us. 
3 John 3. We do not know all truth. We continually discover new aspects of truth from God's word and renew our minds accordingly. But here's the point. However, being of the truth and having the truth in us means that we're able to witness to the truth when we hear it. I'll give you an example in my own life. I mean, for, for many years, I did not understand the nature of the gospel of grace. And so I didn't preach that and I didn't teach that. But when I heard it, immediately the truth within me witnessed to that. This is the truth. I have to change. Can you see what I'm saying? Because we are of the truth and we're in the truth and the truth is in us. And so when we, the children of God, hear the truth, if we're honest, if we've got an honest heart and we want to um, uh, you know, continue to grow in the truth, then we will resonate with that which we hear. Furthermore, we can detect error more easily because error is a lie about the truth. Okay? All right. John says this, I love this. You know, sometimes we talk about, oh, this preacher is anointed, this one's anointed. No, we're all anointed, okay? We're all anointed. You have an anointing from the Holy One. He's talking to the church. You have an anointing from the Holy One and all of you know the truth. I do not write to you because you do not know the truth, but because you do know it and because no lie comes from the truth. As for you, the anointing you receive from him remains in you and you do not need anyone to teach you. But as his anointing teaches you about all things, just as that anointing is real, not counterfeit, just as it is taught you, remain in him. Now what they're saying is this, doesn't, doesn't mean that we don't need teachers because Christ has set teachers in the body of Christ. What it's saying is you have an anointing you have the ability to make up your mind whether what teachers teach is true or not. We could, my job is to bring what I understand to be the truth of God's word to you. Not to tell you, you must believe what I'm telling you. Whether, whether you witnesses to you or not, you, you believe what I'm telling you. Nothing else, no one else. You know, that's control, that's cultish. Okay? My job as a teacher is to teach the word of God, but you have an anointing. From, from the least educated spiritually in the word of God to the greatest, we all have an anointing and that anointing upon us when we hear truth witnesses to the truth. This is the word of God and I'm saying amen to it. I'm saying yes to it. I'm embracing it. Amen. When John says all of God's people know the truth, he's not saying that we all know all the truth, but we know the character of truth because the Holy Spirit within us bears witnesses to it. Bears witness to it. Okay. Then the Jews answered and said to him, do we not rightly say that you are a Samaritan and have a demon? Jesus answered, I do not have a demon, but I honor my father and you dishonor me. And I do not seek my own glory. There is one who seeks and judges most assuredly, I say to you, if anyone keeps my word, he shall never see death. Wow. So the Jews now uh, do what often people do do when they, when they don't like the truth, they attack the messenger. Okay. 
because they, they can't deal with the message now. Jesus has brought the message, brought the truth. They can't dispel it, so they attack him now. They're saying, okay, uh, you, you're a Samaritan. Now, the Samaritans were less orthodox than the Jews. Okay, the, the Samaritans, as you probably know, I think we went through this when we looked at the woman at the well in Samaria. The Samaritans, they came back not from Babylon, but from Assyria, the Assyrian captivity. But it wasn't just the Jews that came back. It was, it was uh, other captives from other nations. So there was a lot of mixture and they brought their pagan beliefs. So the Samaritans had some of the fundamentals, but also they had a lot of other things mixed in. So anyone that didn't believe according to the traditions of the Pharisees and the scribes, they just say, oh, he's a Samaritan. You know, he, he's, uh, he's, he's got a bit of mixture. He's got a bit of our truth, but he hasn't got the whole thing. So that's what they were saying about Jesus. But they also said he had a demon. Three times in John, Jesus is accused of having a demon, which is like saying he was insane. Okay, so if, if you've been caught some names, well, just be encouraged by the fact that even Jesus was accused of having a demon. I said, let's just go back there a minute. I, I just want to point out a couple of things here. First of all, he said, I do not seek my own glory but but God's glory God's honor you know that is that is the chief purpose of man remember Jesus was living as a man on earth showing us what true humanity is meant to look like and and the, the you know the calling of humanity is that we might bring glory to God in all things. Whatever we do, Paul, Paul said it many times, whatever you do, do it for the glory of God, not for your own glory, not to build yourself up, but, but that God might be glorified. Let your light shine that others might see that and glorify your Father which is in heaven. Jesus was saying, this is what I'm doing. It's not about me. I've not come here to big note myself. I've come here that I might glorify the Father. Showed us how to live. But then he says, whoever keeps his word shall never see death that's the promise that we have in christ the promise of immortality the promise that we will live forever with him live in eternity with him that's the good news of the gospel then the jews said to him now we know you have a demon abraham is dead and the prophets are dead as well that's what he's saying and you say, if anyone keeps my word, he shall never taste death. Are you greater than our father, Abraham, who is dead and the prophets are dead? Who do you make yourself out to be? <laughs> Their reasoning was if the prophets of God who spoke his word had died, what makes Jesus think he will not die? They were saying to him, who are you, God? And just imagine Jesus looking at them smiling. <laughs> Jesus answered, if I honour myself, my honour is nothing. It is my Father who honours me, of whom you say that he is your God. Yet you have not known him, but I know him. And if I say I do not know him, I shall be a liar like you, but I do know him and keep his word. Your father, Abraham, rejoiced to see my day, and he saw it and was glad. Jesus didn't rely on his own testimony concerning himself the father honored him continuously by doing works through him but they didn't know him in contrast abraham rejoiced 
to see his day. You know, I think, I think there was this growing awareness of Jesus coming in Abraham's life and, and probably it reached a real climax that day that God said to him, take Isaac and offer him up as a sacrifice. What an incredible test that was. The promised son, the one he waited for so, for so long, now he was to go and offer him up. And as they went up the hill, he told Isaac that they were going to sacrifice and Isaac said, well, we've got the fire and the wood, but where, where is the lamb? And Abraham said those beautiful words, God will provide himself a lamb. God will provide himself. He had incredible faith. Even if he offered up Isaac, God will provide himself a lamb. You remember that God stopped him and there was a ram that was caught in the thicket and he offered that up, but that's not a lamb. They're still waiting for the lamb. Abraham knew that. And he knew that even if he did offer up Isaac, Isaac would be raised from the dead because the Messiah was going to come through him. He had incredible faith. He rejoiced to see his day. Totally unlike these Pharisees who were wanting to kill Jesus. Then the Jews said to him, you are not yet 50 years old. And have you seen Abraham? Jesus said to them, most assuredly, I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. Then they took up stones to throw at him. But Jesus hid himself and went out of the temple, going through the midst of them and so passed by. There's another clear claim to deity. I am. We, we've seen that many times. It's the, it's the personal name of God. I am that I am. The self-existent one. The, the God who revealed himself to Moses in the burning bush. The bush that wouldn't burn out. I am that I am. I, the God that was and is and is to come. The great I am. Before Abraham was I am. Implies continual existence. Before Abraham came into existence I am eternally existence. Now it's reckoned that at this time there was some building going on and so they would have run to the, ran to the place where the building was carried on to get some stones to stone him. But he escaped. He passed by. His time was, had not yet come, as we've seen, and so he escaped. What a wonderful thing it is to know that even though we were deceived, the human race was brought down with the lie. You don't need God. You can be God. That's the lie. Jesus brought, back, brought us back to God and he is the truth. And when we have Jesus, we have the truth. We don't have all the truth. We're growing in our knowledge and our understanding. That's why we do need to read the word of God because it's a lamp unto our feet, a light unto our path. You know and I know that daily we're bombarded with messages that are wrong, they're erroneous, they're lies, uh, they call right wrong and wrong right and we've been bombarded by this but, but we are in the truth, we're of the truth, the truth is in us and Jesus is the truth and the truth shall make us free. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Father we thank you this morning for your word again. We thank you Lord that as we've seen your word is a light to our lives. Lord without it we would be groping in the darkness we wouldn't know which way to go. We wouldn't know who to believe. We wouldn't know what is truth. But you are the truth, Lord. And we thank you that we, because we're born again, we bear witness to the truth. And now, Lord, you send us into this world to, to be lights in a dark place, to share Jesus. 
And Lord, we know that just as Jesus proclaimed the truth, some believed him and some opposed him, we will be met with the same response. But Lord, I pray that you'll keep us faithful and consistent in our testimony of Jesus. It's not about us. It's not even about whether we're living as we should or living in victory every day. But it's about what Jesus has done. Uh, he is our message. He is the truth. So help us to lift him up, Lord, in this dark world, we pray. In Jesus' name. Everybody say it. Amen. Amen. Amen.